Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here, Rhino. Howdy, howdy! And it is the week of the Neshoba County Fair. We're going to be over there Wednesday and Thursday, talking to all them candidates. See what they have to say. They will, of course take their spot under the pavilion on the stage. It's an iconic setting for political speech making. And they'll tell the good folks of Mississippi what they're going to do for them. That's kind of what it's all about. Uh, It's Mississippi's giant house party. It is back and bigger than ever in Super Talk. Mississippi will be there right on Founder Square. Middays with Gerard will be there Wednesday and Thursday. The Gallo Show will be there on a Thursday. So it's one of the most important events of the year, and you'll hear from candidates from across the state. Because that election season is right around the corner, officially tomorrow will mark two weeks from the primary in Mississippi. Now, I don't know about you folks, but a lot of people I've talked to in my orbit say, uh, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> they, of course, are being peppered, barraged with the advertisements <laughs> for the candidates as well as uh, mailers they are receiving in their box, their mailbox. What did you say? How long does it take you before you throw one away? About two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weather is hot, but not that bad. It, it actually got a little less humid is I think a little front maybe moves through. I think we finally got acclimate, acclimated too because it, the the really cool spring we had didn't give us any leeway or run up to the heat of summer. No, no phasing in of the summertime weather. Well, speaking of heat, what about this Delta Airlines jet in Las Vegas? Passengers remained on the airplane in heat, with no air conditioning, for three hours. Three hours on the tarmac. Three hours. Passengers were passing out. Literally. Unbelievable. 
A passengers, one, some passengers said, we were given a choice to leave the flight, but were warned by Delta staff that it could take days to rebook a new trip from Las Vegas to Atlanta. Of course, the headquarters and hub of um, Delta Airlines. The Delta plane did, in fact, finally taxi back to the gate because passengers were passing out. And passengers were on board tweeting about it as well. No, no surprise. One video was uploaded to Twitter, and you could hear a voice apologizing, quote, for the situation being very hot back there. <laughs> At least one customer attempted to get treatment for being ill from the heat, is what the airlines told Las Vegas News a local affiliate there. Medical teams responded to a call on board an aircraft. How bizarre is that? Wow. So, don't worry, though, because Pete Buttigieg is all over this deal. <laughs> yeah, he's... he's uh, oh, yeah. He's... Uh, Have no fear. The idiot is here. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Man, oh, man. Uh, also, the student loan deal, you probably heard it on our news, but up, upwards of 10,000 Mississippians may see their student loans canceled as a, as a part of President Joe Biden's latest scheme to forgive, to cancel student loans, some $39 billion worth. That, of course, is a far cry from the 450 or so billion that was contemplated in his original plan, but the old Supreme Court said can't do that. The 9,500-plus Mississippians who were slated to benefit from this cancellation would see $450 million of loans forgiven. Wow. That so, doesn't sound right. It, it doesn't add up. It seems it? an awful high, awful high amount for... Less than 10,000 people. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can say Especially is... Especially considering the the way the Biden administration has been claiming this is just correcting errors in the that's right. reporting of months paid. Right. It's uh, that, That's how they're sort of getting around it in the income-driven repayment plan. So it primarily... So if you've been paying for... The, the amount of time you're supposed to have been paying, and you still average what, fifty grand a person? Yeah, seems high. I agree. We'll see. Uh, I suspect we're going to see some more squawking about that. In fact, we've already seen it, where Republicans and opponents of the plan have said, "Hey, didn't you just see the Supreme Court?" Now, in fact, there are educators who were telling the president, hey, don't pay any attention to that. Just go ahead and do it. Just defy. This is bizarre. I caught that. Of course academia would say that. (laughs) They're the only beneficiaries of this entire scam. Yeah, that is so true. But But they absolutely are encouraging the president, just do it. Don't worry about it. They're also telling them the same thing with respect to affirmative action. 
some of these liberals in academia, including law professors, are urging the president to just defy the courts and the public and go ahead and let this affirmative action stick. I thought this was interesting in that there was an article penned in The Hill by Jonathan Turley, a constitutional law professor, and he starts the article out, he's at George Washington University, he starts the article out by citing, quoting a couple of statements. Here they go. I shall resist any illegal federal court order when, quote, the court's interpretation of the Constitution is egregiously wrong, the president should refuse to follow it. Now, what's fascinating is that 60 years separate those two statements being made by different people at different times, obviously. The first was from segregationist governor of Alabama, George Wallace. The second, by a liberal law professor this past month. That's chilling, in my view. Harvard law professor Mark Tushnet and San Francisco State University political scientist Aaron Belkin sent a letter to President Joe Biden imploring him to defy rulings of the Supreme Court that Joe Biden, of course, described as mistaken. And they are saying, they're encouraging, encouraging him to defy in the name of popular constitutionalism. <laughs> oh, gosh. They argue that Biden should just continue to follow his own constitutional interpretation, not that of the Supreme Court. Yeah, because that's the way it works. And, of course, AOC, she's basically questioning the need for a Supreme Court. And there are others in Congress as well. We don't need that. We don't need her either, but she doesn't want to have that conversation. No, that's very true. This is crazy, though. So now you've got two law professors that are telling the president, defy the Supreme Court. That's who you want teaching law in our most prestigious universities, right? You're cranking out some really qualified law students when you tell them, just defy that Constitution. Incredible. Also... A Georgetown University law professor named Rosa Brooks, you'll love this, Rhino, was on the race lady show, the readout, declared that Americans are, quote, slaves to the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> and that the Constitution itself, that's now the fundamental flaw in our country. It's a problem for our country that that old wily constitution. <laughs> We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Today we've got Dr. John Witcher, a candidate for governor at 1037. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays from the Element Well Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow up 197 today. The last I checked the NASDAQ, it was down a tad. Let's see, I'm watching it scroll on the board right now. It's a big earnings week, certainly for the tech sector. The NASDAQ now up 50, so it has reversed its losses. We'll get earnings reports from some of the world's largest tech companies. Microsoft, the Google parent, of course, that's known as Alphabet. They both will report tomorrow, and then Meta, of course, that's the parent of Facebook, is going to present their earnings on Wednesday. Here's the question. The run-up in the market this year has largely been driven by artificial intelligence. Investors really see lots of promise there, and they're dumping money in companies that have artificial intelligence as part of their business strategy. Microsoft is one of those. They announced their co-pilot tool will be available for 30 bucks a month per user in their Office 365 suite. So they're monetizing. They plan to monetize artificial intelligence. They're going to do it in their applications, on their Azure platform as well, uh, in competition with Amazon Web Services, AWS. And they're also going to do it in their Bing search engine. So many investors feel like they've got the best shot of really capitalizing on this explosion of artificial intelligence, but it remains to be seen. Yeah, my hesitation is... Everything seems to, without a major breakthrough in artificial intelligence, without a major step forward from what we have now to what the 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 pie-in-the-sky dreams are, everything seems to be lining up like round two of a dot-com bubble instead of dot-com, it's the AI bubble. It's a fear. No doubt about it. Uh, Because there's a whole lot of new endeavors trying to get their foot in the door to make a quick buck. I think that's a lot of truth in that. And there's concerns, but you know what, Rhino? They'll jump in and jump out, make a quick profit, as they did in the dot-com. It really comes down to... Who gets who's, left holding the bag. Yeah, who's playing the long game here. And, and even in the case of the dot-com bust, you know, if you invested in the right companies, you did pretty well, right? It was just picking those who were going to be around and sustain and survive the, the bloodbath and who's not. I would say that if you're investing in these these big tech companies that have been around a while and are quite profitable, that's a little different than some dot-com startup that comes out of nowhere that makes a big run. Maybe you, you take a little profit off the table and get out. Or if you don't, you ride them all the way down to zero, essentially. But I hear you, and it's it's certainly a concern, and investors are weighing that as well. I will say also that I, I noted that the big four accounting firms. They're all making huge investments 
in AI from an internal use perspective and a consultancy perspective. The latest, uh, Deloitte and Touche read a press release on their investment in consulting services around AI that they intend to offer to their clients. PricewaterhouseCoopers announced the same back in April. So they're all getting on board. And they're spending, I know PwC announced a billion-dollar investment in their AI services, building out their AI services. Ought to be fun to watch, though, for sure. I just received, says Karen and Ripley, my third political mailing from Delbert in four days. Yeah, I, I hear you, Karen, and and that's what you do. And of course, Rhino and had a had a discussion about that last week. I just noted that most political consultants will tell you that if, that uh, direct mail is a very effective campaign strategy for getting your name out. I have also heard from a lot of. Uh, just my contemporaries, that they have seen lots of ads from the candidates, certainly in the primary, leading up to the primary. You've probably seen more advertisement and campaign activity in the lieutenant governor's race. Would you say that's on a statewide basis? And now I think things will shift to the governor's race once we get into a primary. Uh, pardon me, pass the primary and approach the general, and I think that's primarily because the Democrat candidate is a known entity in Brandon Presley and does have some money to spend. And that will make uh, a difference and has some name ID. So that should be interesting the way it was last cycle, I think, with Jim Hood, the Democrat candidate. So we'll see. That ought to be uh, something we'll certainly be keeping an eye on. Let's see what happened here to Bo in Indianola. Man, what happened, Bo? He sent us a picture. Looks like a truck is on its side in the middle of a field. Is that a truck? We sent that back in June. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, when are you de- when you are deep under scoops diving? How far can you see? Huh? That must have been from the last show. What else we got? My dog likes to. Oh yeah, because. I think Patrick is a diver, if I'm not mistaken, that does the legal show. My do- Locally. My dog likes to shred paper so the mail advertisements have come in handy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're getting peppered with them, and you got two weeks left. You're likely to receive a whole lot more, would you think, Rhino? I don't know about a whole lot more, but you're going to get – I'm going to ballpark it. Give you an over-under of four and a half. Oh. Four and a half, four and a half flyers? Well, it's got to have the half in there since it's an over-under. <laughs> That's true. Oh, gosh. Well, it's political season. So, it is my understanding, I, I've uh, been to the Neshoba County Fair many times through the years, have only done the show there the last two years. And neither of those were during uh, an election year, statewide election year. This will be my first. I'm told that we've got a full slate of guests to interview Wednesday and Thursday. But it is also my understanding that reporters, journalists from some of the national media will also be present. Right? I've, oh, I've yeah. heard that. Wall Street Journal, New York Times, etc. 
for the giant house party. It uh, gets a lot of attention. Well, the lieutenant governor's race has gotten international attention because of the whole Jeremy England thing. That is true. If you didn't catch him this morning on the Gallo show, it was uh, two segments. 7.20 is when Mr. Gallo began his interview of Senator Jeremy England from Jackson County. And that was quite interesting. No secret, he's no fan of Senator Chris McDaniel, his colleague in the Senate. Um, but they, you know the story, if you hadn't seen it, folks, uh, it was really about his support of breast cancer, and uh, a while back, actually dressed in a pink tutu, and uh, sort of pink clothing representing breast cancer, and that was in an effort to raise money for it. I think the slogan, real men wear pink. Yeah, that's the campaign. Yeah. And... And so he indicated that Senator Melanie Sojourner, who, of course, served in the Senate with him and supports Senator Chris McDaniel, sent a text to him that just had the photo, no other information, no, no uh, other communication, just simply sharing with the senator a photo of him dressed in this pink. He says that he believes it was an effort to intimidate him, his word, intimidate, because he supports Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and actually suggested um, to him that, that, at least the way he interpreted his, his inference, was that she's probably going to share this and try to describe it as something it was not, right? So I've even heard him saying this morning that someone was suggesting that they would share it and describe him as a groomer. Oh, they did. Okay. On social media. Okay. One of the typical trolls. But I don't think that was Senator Sojourner's. No. You're right. She just sent the photo, according to Senator England. It landed in his phone, and he received it. But he he inferred from that, she's going to try to intimidate me with this not-so-favorable photo No, it was one of those wackadoo keyboard cowboys that actually put the picture on social media. Okay. Absent context. He has. He did report this morning he's raised $6,000 for breast cancer after uh, that ordeal. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming right back with Dr. John Witcher. He's a candidate for governor of Mississippi. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off a brand new week. We welcome Dr. John Witcher. He is a candidate for governor running as a Republican. 
Good morning, Dr. Witcher. Thanks for coming in. Yes, sir. Good morning, Gerard. Appreciate so, it. Yes, sir. So tell us uh, uh, about uh, your history with political office. Have you ever run before? I have never run before. I am a medical doctor, been a medical doctor here in Mississippi for 25 years. I'm uh, born and raised in Mississippi. I was born in Meridian, raised on the Mississippi Gulf Coast in Ocean Springs. My father's from Tupelo, my mother from Yazoo City, so I've spent a lot of time in those areas growing up. But uh, I'm a Mississippian, you know, and uh, I love Mississippi. I love the people. I've been all over Mississippi working in these little towns. I started a company early on in my medical career as a young doctor in Mississippi Physician Services where we staff these uh, little hospital emergency rooms primarily and some urgent care clinics, that sort of thing. So I've been in probably 12 or 15 different hospitals, either personally working or contracting with these hospitals. So um, know a lot of people throughout the state and uh, and uh, just know the healthcare situation. When COVID hit, you know, I was the medical director of a little hospital in Yazoo City. And uh, that's that's what really got me into politics. I didn't, you know, politics came to health care. I didn't, I didn't necessarily go to it, but uh, that's how I got into politics. Hmm. Okay, gotcha. So that that uh, you felt like the pandemic itself, COVID, et cetera, that kind of upended the whole country, whole world. Honestly, that you feel like's the motivation for you to enter the race here? Yeah, I, that's my main motivation. You know, I, uh, Tate Reeves. You know, he was my neighbor. Uh, you know, he uh, helped him campaign, voted for him, but. You know, when COVID hit, I don't think anybody knew what was going on. But by the time Biden got in there, I mean, you know, these lockdowns, mass mandates, school closures, business closures, church closures, the whole works. I mean, people out there, you know, we know the masks don't work. There's no scientific evidence that, that shows that. But yet our public health department officials, you know, adamantly said these, these masks work, period. And that's just not the case. Got you. Yeah. So just looking through some of your campaign materials, Dr. Witcher, one of the things that you highlight is that you're pro-business. And you say, and I'm just reading your, your card here, he will make a smooth path for new development, cutting regulations, and reducing tax burdens. Can you elaborate on that? Well, you know, I am, you know, I grew up with Ronald Reagan 40 years ago. I was 17. And, uh, you know, I think the American dream back then was alive and well. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I believe anybody, you can come from any walk of life. And it, through hard work, integrity, a commitment to excellence, you know, I think anybody should be able to be successful in America. Uh, today, I don't believe that's the case. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, we have to, uh, I mean, and, and that's, this is a big thing. Our our economy is is failing. I mean, just look over the last uh, three plus years since Tate Reeves has been governor. Our, uh, you know, our interest rates have doubled. Our uh, gas prices have doubled. Uh, 401ks are not doing as well. You know, so just four years ago when Donald J. Trump was there, everything was go going well. And, I, you know, the grassroots people in Mississippi, the, the conservatives, Republicans out there, they they understand what's going on. I mean, our our politicians, you know, our career politicians, whether it be Tate, Tate Reeves or the others, they're going out and what they're campaigning on is that Mississippi's never been in better financial shape than it is today. And that may be the government into things, but the people are suffering, and they know that. They they want to see uh, they want to see the economy coming back. They want to see closed borders. They they feel like this this whole thing where uh, they don't know what's coming through the border, whether it be drugs, criminals, terrorists. Uh, you know, sex trafficking is a big problem. I, I guess you you know recently watched Sound of Freedom. People are concerned about those things, but you know. The, the people want uh, they want protection. They want their money to be protected, their property. And so, uh, you know, 
as a business person, you know, I don't believe I believe our government must balance their budget. We must get rid of corruption. We must we must have a smaller government, not a bigger government. And so that's that's uh, so from the state of Mississippi's perspective, I appreciate that. Most yeah. of that seems to be more federal-related. But from the state of Mississippi's perspective, do you support elimination of the state income tax? I, I do support that, but it has to be done in a correct way. I mean, you know, we have, what, $8 billion that comes in through our taxes. And, uh, you know, uh, we have to find a way to generate that income. I mean, first of all, we need to cut government waste. We need to bring down our budget. But, uh, you know, we can't. We, we, we want to be more like Tennessee. You know, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, they don't have state income tax, but Tennessee, their, their land taxes, property taxes are not high. So in Mississippi, we, we want to be careful about that. We don't want our property taxes to go sky high if we eliminate the income tax. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we should be, have ways to help people on the local level, whether it be uh, income tax elimination, and, and so we can compete better with these, our neighboring states, but also taxes on, on groceries. I mean, baby items, for example. We want good people to come to Mississippi. And, uh, you know, there's other states, Florida, for example, they, they've eliminated taxes on baby items mm-hmm. to, to encourage uh, good working young families to come to Florida. And that's what we can do here. Would you support uh, restoration of the ballot measure process, the citizen-initiated ballot measure process? I would. Okay. I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, the ballot initiative, I think, you know, that's, I mean, that's uh, the conservative way. I think the people should have the vote, and there should be a way to uh, reinstitute that. What about uh, school choice? Where do you stand on that? I believe in school choice. I believe that, uh, you know, I know we have charter schools here in Mississippi, but that, that's, you know, uh, that our, our state government helps uh, run, but that, that that if you look into it, which I've, I've been looking into, so it's, it's not doing well. Okay, yeah. we need to find a way. You know, I don't believe uh, your zip code should determine what kind of education you get. I'm I'm for school choice. I'm for parents being involved, but I'm also, you know, we we need to look at the the, the Mississippi Department of, of Education and see where the wasteful spending is. It's very top heavy. Okay, this money needs to get down to the teachers, the students. And the parents really need to, to get term limits. Do you have a position on that? I do have a position on term limits. I, I would prefer that that politicians would term limit themselves and and move on. And uh, but uh, but yeah, I think we have uh, you know we need to have term limits. We need to have right now. I, the people are crying out. The the our our elected politicians, our Republicans, many of them are out of touch with with the people. And so I think we see in this election period you're going to have a lot of – there's a lot of different folks running, and I'm hopeful that we're going to get some new folks in there because that's what the people want. Medicaid expansion. Well, if Medicaid expansion would solve the problems, I'd be for it. But, you know, I've been been a doctor throughout Mississippi in some of the most – the poorest areas of Mississippi. And so, um, you know, I understand there are problems out there, but just creating – increasing Medicaid and, and, you know, creating a a bigger – uh, top-heavy situation. We, we need to find ways to get the money to the people, and uh, you know we can assign things like we, these patients need a a primary care provider, whether it be a doctor, or nurse practitioner, and uh, and and work one-on-one with that patient w- from their lifestyle to the way they're they're treated. But and, and quit using you know the hospital for example, the emergency rooms. Most visits in the emergency rooms are not emergent. They they need to go to the primary care. But so there's many ways to do that. I, I don't you know the certificate of need needs to be uh, uh, opened up to more uh, private enterprise so there can be some competition. But there's other ways to do it by, by just expanding uh, government funding. Gotcha. What about recreational marijuana? Where do you stand on that? 
Well, I, you know, marijuana is, uh, uh, you know, I understand that's been passed. Medical marijuana is, uh, is an issue that a lot of people out there believe in. I've, I've talked with lots of folks that uh, feel that's their, you know, I mean, it was voted on, and it was passed by the people. So Talking about recreational, though. You, I don't believe in recreational marijuana. I, you know, I think marijuana can be very much abused, and I think that, uh, you know, this is something we need to be very careful about. First of all, I mean, smoking uh, anything is, is de- a detriment to your health. So I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, I think this medical marijuana, you know, I'm not really sure why we would be smoking that. Not only does it hurt that person, but but others around them are, 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 are going to uh, be inhaling uh, marijuana smoke. So I have mixed feelings on that. Have you taken a look at PERS, the Public Employee, Employees Retirement System? It's $19 billion unfunded in the whole. Yeah, there's there's a problem. It, what it, what it lose eight billion dollars last year? Of course, it made twenty three billion over the last couple of years. So. Yeah, it's it's still uh, the last ten years is averaged about seven eight percent return. So yeah. the returns are okay. But you know the, uh, there, you know I, you know first of all, I mean I guess it's mandatory if you're a state worker to pay into PERS, and right. and, and it has to be pushed in order to to have a payout. But you know I think the people. It's something we need to watch very closely. I certainly don't believe in ESGs and the, you know, I think we need to uh, invest in companies that are that are profitable and not necessarily that are woke. Yeah, yeah. What about um, nurse practitioners? You talked about eliminating regulations. We just got about a minute left. Would you support full practice authority for nurse practitioners as a physician? Well, I think you have to. Be, you know, I've, I've collaborated with nurse practitioners, many of them over the last 25 years. And today what's happening is many of them don't get full any clinical training by the time they get out. I, I think that has to be on a one-on-one basis, but uh, some nurse practitioners can can work in, very independently. Others can't. So, gotcha. I mean, yeah. Gotcha. Dr. Witcher, good luck on the campaign down to about uh, two weeks here yes. until the primary day. Yeah. No, Appreciate right. you coming right, in. Thank, thank you. you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Coming right back in the Element Wealth Studio. Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. There she stood in the street, smiling from my head to her feet. I said, What is this now, baby? Maybe she's in need of a kiss. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We are in the Element Well Studio. We thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the ceasefire text line. So what can the Mississippi governor do about the Mexican border, asks Thomas in Greenwood. Brian in Madison says he should have run for president to address his issues. Um, you know, at the risk of sounding critical, and I don't mean to, to do so, 
I have noted this year a number of candidates that are kind of tapping into candidates at the state level. Let me let me clarify. Let me um, make sure that that's clear. Candidates running for state office, be it governor, lieutenant governor, House, Senate, are really tapping into the frustration Mississippians are feeling about federal policy. And that's understandable. I think the question, though, in the minds of many voters in Mississippi is what really Thomas said is what can state leaders do about federal policy? And there's you've got some power there, but you're somewhat limited. You certainly can't change interest rates. A, uh, an elected official in Mississippi has no power over that or authority over that. But to play devil's advocate, you have to start somewhere. And if you are passionate and adamant about those issues, you would have probably be behooved to get office in your home state before trying to make a run for a national office to make changes on those issues. Well, now you're sort of describing what seems to always be top of mind to politicians, which is my 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 route, right? The path that I might take as an elected official. And thinking not just about the present race, but about future races and positioning for the future race. Is that Oh yeah. Okay. That was the foundation of my devil's advocacy. Okay. And I'm certainly not trying to highlight any specific individual person in that regard because it's fairly widespread. Would oh, you yeah. agree? Yeah. It's um, because it resonates. And I've said on the show, you know, fact is, we're more impacted by federal policy than state. Now, that may be because the federal government's just encroached too dang much. I could certainly get on board with such an analysis. But if you think about just taxes, I mean, your state taxes are peanuts compared to federal taxes, especially when you count Social Security and Medicare in that, as an example. And when you look at federal regulation, and, and it, look, it, it, I'm speaking in general terms. It, this this is just depends on the, your industry, your, your, uh, your occupation. But there's no doubt that Man, where we're getting out of the federal government just seems to be far more impactful. That does, does not mean or discount the need for effective leaders in state government, because that can go awry in a hurry if you don't have good people there. And we certainly want our state elected officials and, honestly, our attorney general as well, who represents us from a legal perspective, to protect against federal government overreach. No doubt about it. And and yes, every member of our House and Senate and and governor and lieutenant governor, elected officials and and honestly, other statewise. You can see where stuff could encroach upon our Secretary of State, our Treasurer, perhaps our auditor. I'm talking about policy regulation coming out of the federal government. And they've got to be vigilant. And when they see such, you got to take action. I mean, this is what seems like, Rhino, we've seen more lawsuits get to the Supreme Court 
that were originated by state attorney generals as plaintiffs than any other cases. And and that's just, I think, an indication that the Supreme or pardon me, the federal government has encroached. I think that's what it means. Of course I think it could also be an argument that the economy is in the tank. No doubt about it. Because it costs a whole lot of money to get your case in front of the Supreme Court. There's no doubt about it. You've got, you've got to suit up and be well funded to get that to get that far. Speaking of overreach, we got a break right here. We got Fox News, Super Talk News. I'm going to talk about a federal judge now in a state that said, "Hey, you know that law you have that prohibits biological males from competing in." sports competition of females, you can't do that. So are they going to come after Mississippi? I'll get into that on the other side of the break here. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is hour two of middays. We are in the Element Well studio. And don't forget, it's Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews coming up at noon today. It's a two hour show. We're back uh, in the studio tomorrow and then on the road over at the Neshoba County Fair, Wednesday and Thursday. Our content director, Alex Payton, has informed Rhino that we have a full slate of interviews scheduled for Wednesday and Thursday, but we are not surprised at as it is election year in the great state of Mississippi. And so we'll have the opportunity to visit with many of the candidates that will be over there at the fair speaking. So we look forward to that. I was going to pass on again this situation with several states that have banned biological males from participating on girls' sports teams, such as here in the state of Mississippi. Several have. However, a couple of, shall we say, biological males who are transitioning to female, at least they say they are, you make your own mind up on that, they have sued. And a federal judge last Thursday has temporarily blocked the state of Arizona from enforcing such a law. Two prepubescent transgenders have filed a suit as plaintiffs, the Save Women's Sports Act was passed by the legislature last year. 
So the superintendent of public schools in Arizona says they're going to appeal appeal this, uh, this decision. How did we get so dang upside down? It, who would have thought we'd be even sitting here having to deal with this? 15-year-old wants to play on the schoolgirls' volleyball team, and an 11-year-old, these are males, of course, want, wants to compete in girls' competition for soccer, basketball, and cross-country. So according to the lawsuit, playing on the school boys' teams are not an acceptable option for these two Boys, wrap your head around that. The lawsuit states, quote, it would be painful and humiliating for the plaintiff to be forced to play on boys' teams. You know, the boys, playing on the boys' teams, that would be humiliating and painful. Is it painful when biological boys play on girls' teams, to the girls on those teams, like the volleyball player that was on the receiving end of a spike, teenagers, I believe, knocked her out unconscious. Because guess what? Boys are stronger than girls. I thought that was like in the books established hundreds of years ago in science. Unbelievable. The parents of the transgenders say they are pleased with the court's decision. We are relieved that the judge saw past the misconceptions and harmful rhetoric used to demonize transgender girls. Because you're boys! I'm sorry. I'm yelling. I'm getting fired up here. This is so insane. Our daughter is looking forward to making new friends and playing the sports that she loves. Our daughter, who's a boy! They don't release the name, of course, because they're minors. Jane Doe's parents said in a statement <laughs> from the National Center for Lesbian Rights, they're helping to represent the family. It's just incredible. It, tr it truly is. Oh, boy. This law bans transgender girls from competing with other girls in every sport at every grade level and regardless of each girl's individual circumstances, said Rachel Berg, staff attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Man, I, I'm confused on what that has to do with lesbian rights. Can you help me on that? I get confused about all this intersection of all this stuff. I know you try to unwind it for me sometimes, <laughs> but this, this is a head-scratcher here. So here's a question, folks. Might we see something similar in the state of Mississippi and the other states? I mean, all it takes, right, is a plaintiff to file a lawsuit, gets before a federal judge. We got two in Mississippi, I believe, and all they have to do is rule the same way this judge did. Now, it's, it's not over. But an injunction right now is in place, which suggests to me these boys are going to be playing on the girls' teams. Just incredible. This is where it really gets nuts. 
In issuing the preliminary injunction, the judge said that evidence presented by the defendant's expert is, quote, is not relevant because the plaintiffs have not and never will experience male puberty. That's what the judge said. The judge is saying these boys, I guess as a result of taking puberty blockers, other medicine, hormone treatment, will never experience male puberty, therefore it's okay for them to play on the girls' team. You look a little puzzled. <laughs> yeah, because they still lived their life with an abundance of testosterone. It just didn't get kicked into overdrive by puberty yet. That's it. You know, my wife, when I was coaching youth sports, <laughs> the, the, the age of 12 is one where you look at a given team, typically a typical team, half have kind of already experienced that change, depending on their birthday a lot of times and just yeah. other factors. Half have not. My wife used to say, oh, yeah, you can tell that one's been through the change somewhat because their jaw starts to square. Their, their face looks more triangular. It's, and it is true, if you think about that. Twelve. Now, 13, pretty much all of them. And the ones who try to stack their teams, talking about baseball, the ones who try to stack their teams, they like go hand-pick all the 12-year-olds who have already started or been through the change. That's all true story. Um, but this judge says, the judge also said <laughs> that evidence submitted, quote, the girls have more body fat than boys at birth. <laughs> Quote, not relevant to the question before the court, which is only dealing with prepubescent males. What in the hell are we doing with this crap in a court of law in this country? We're kowtowing to a crazy, infinitesimally small percentage of the population. Oh, gosh. I, I don't know. And at this point, we're kowtowing to the narcissistic, crazy parents of these children. That is true. That is because so having a trans child is the new Gucci bag for woke soccer moms. It absolutely is. Now, I sent you a video. I, I don't know if you have it or not. We, we're going to have to do it after the break. Folks, you got to stick around for this. This is a video of a transgender individual who has a certain goal in life that I found shocking. And we have the video to play for you. I did want to pass on just some info about PERS. I, I researched this a couple of weeks ago, pulled it up again. But the investment returns for PERS over the last 10 years, it's averaged about 8%. And so that's, that's fairly consistent with the broader investment uh, results. And if you look at the way PERS is money, is invested. I'm looking at the latest report, 2023, and it's not unusual to have a big, uh, in this case, $31 billion portfolio. It's not unusual to have that allocated across a variety of investment classes. Equities, 25%. Not U.S. equities, non-U.S. equities. That would be investment in foreign companies, 20%. Global equity, 11. Real estate, 10. Fixed income, that would be like bonds and treasuries, comes in at just under 20%. Private equity, which are more risky, 
but typically have a greater return. 12% invested there, and 1.5% sitting in cash. Just wanted to pass that on. So, honestly, I, I think PERS has done a pretty good job in managing uh, the investments, the contributions, the fund, the portfolio that supports benefits on behalf of enrollees, state, local workers. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. you got to hear this video, folks. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Back in the Element Well studio, we appreciate you joining us. I'm going to have Rhino play this video, and then honestly, I'm sick of this topic. I'm getting off of it. I just want you to hear this video. Let me set it up for you. This is a a transgender individual. You can tell from the video when you hear what this person has to say. This is a male transitioning to be a female. The first trans woman to have a successful uterus transplant, ovaries and eggs included. And I want to be the first trans woman to have an abortion. I will let a doctor who has successfully transplanted a uterine complex before cut the organs out of a willing, healthy, transmasculine donor, place them in my body. I will devote myself, heart and soul, to their aftercare. I will have as much gay sex as it takes with as many trans women as it takes and let the transphobes and homophobes scratch their heads wondering what to make of it. And I want to be the first trans woman to have an abortion. This is a sick person. It's some sort of twisted, perverted, erotic fantasy this person is having about having an abortion even though they are a biological male. That's just how upside down this crap's gotten. And it's it goes back to something you talk about all the time. It's attention, purely attention. It's so you can see it, can you not? You can oh, hear yeah. it in the voice. You can see it in the face when you watch it. This is sickness. Yet, it's devotion to the religion of intersectionality. But we have elected officials at all levels of government in this country that fully support this garbage. Where it is a badge of honor, in fact. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm done. 
I can't deal with that anymore. I had I, after I caught that, just doing my normal research for the show, and I came across that. I honestly, I I had to just kind of veg out for a little bit. Said, how do we how do we get here, man? This is. This is beyond the pale. This isn't just someone that's experiencing a little dysphoria. But to fantasize about having an abortion and wanting to like make your mark in history as the first male who had female anatomy transplanted to them so they could bear a child, I guess, and then abort it? I can't comprehend it. I just can't. Jim in the Delta said, Gerard, that was a good interview. I appreciate your concise questions and then you being quiet, letting him speak. I also appreciate you asking him about term limits. Please ask every candidate about term limits, along with the PERS and other questions. Thanks. I, and we shall, uh, Jim, just to let you know, I, I have pledged that uh, to the audience. We'll ask about that. Um, certainly PERS. And, and I, I bring that up because it is a, it is a problem. It's a big problem. It's not going away. It's the same as Social Security and Medicare. Those problems are not going to just dissolve on their own. We've got to have workable remedies. It's not popular to talk about, and I know that it can get kind of wonky when you start really digging in all to all the specifics and the details of pension plans. It's not sexy, not fun to talk about. And the the reality is, and the reason most politicians don't want to talk about it is because there are no solutions that are absent pain. There just aren't. I challenge anyone to show me a solution that's not painful, some way, somehow, to somebody. I am looking at the PERS investment returns over the last 10 years, 8.13%. I didn't want to be confrontational with Dr. Witcher, but the the fund has not ever lost eight billion dollars. It it had uh, there are years where you have a negative return, which is just usually tracks with the broader market. But eight billion dollars would be devastating. It's a thirty-one billion dollar portfolio. You can do the math there. As a Christian, we are not supposed to wish bad things on people. It's really hard not to in the case of this person who wants to intentionally get pregnant just so they can kill a baby, says Paul's appliance repair. Robert Brandon, that video is further proof that transgenderism is a mental illness. Well, I mean, Rhino, you are certainly more familiar with the, the medical science than I am, but that's almost across the board, except for those who are just more radical in nature. I'm talking about the opinions of physicians, psychiatrists who study the human brain for a living, said, yeah, this, you don't treat this by mutilating their bodies or placing them on hormone blockers or puberty blockers and hormone treatment, but you treat the brain. Oh, yeah. I mean, gender dysphoria is a facet of body dysmorphia which one of the most common occurrences of body dysmorphia is someone who has perfectly functioning legs or arms, but insists that they find a doctor who will amputate their fully functioning arms and or legs 
because deep down inside they know they are paraplegic or quadriplegic. And it is increasingly difficult to find doctors that are willing to do so because it goes against the Hippocratic Oath. Right. But when you have gender dysphoria, that's a cash cow for the medical industry. That's recurring payments to the doctor because you have to constantly go back and get treatment because they're, they haven't perfected the medicine. Right. And uh, you need Whereas to look. normal amputations, that's not really a cash cow for them. Once it's done, it's dusted. Good point. And you need to look no further than the video we shared here on this air. In fact, we did it before the mainstream media picked up on it, and that was the Vanderbilt University professor addressing her peers at the medical center about how, quote, lucrative, remember that, is transgender treatment. Because she made a statement, just as you said, hey, not only do we get the one-time fees for the surgery and the initial treatment, but you're on meds and need care for life, expensive care. Once you change your body into something that it ain't supposed to be, essentially, is what you're doing. So you're so right about that. Uh, it's just nuts. It's crazy. Oh, gosh. Calm down, Gordon, says Ronnie and Summit. <laughs> Who was it? Somebody called me Gordon. That's okay. I, yeah, I don't let stuff like that bother me. I just laugh about it, uh, one of the guests. I, I'm sorry. I get fired up about stuff like that because I think it's so insane. And, uh, and it's twisted the country up in knots, honestly. And it, it has been thrust into the political limelight. It's become a polarizing political issue. And it's crazy to me that it has risen to that level. Gosh, it's really is just hard to wrap your head around. That's all I guess I would say about it. You know, we have certainly seen in this country, I would say again, dating back to the George Floyd incident, just seems to be the inflection point that really opened up the floodgates for so many crazy things in the nation. But certainly, who could forget the riots, the burning of America's cities, the ravaging of them, the pillaring of them? Now is become a, a huge issue in our country with this Jason Aldean song. But we yeah, got... Yeah, that song's promoting violence somehow. Yeah, it's quite the opposite, honestly. It's denouncing it, and it's exposing it. They don't like it, because guess what? It was primarily committed by and, and orchestrated by activist groups such as BLM, in, mostly in deep blue cities. Remember, was it Seattle? They literally commandeered a federal courthouse, and the federal government wouldn't respond. Just let them have their way. But was so, it Wyoming that a bunch of cowboys took over a federal courthouse and it became a standoff? That's true. Meanwhile, you may have seen the story about a Lowe's worker in Georgia. A Lowe's worker in Georgia that just saw fit to, I guess, take the law into their own hands? When we come back, we'll tell you what happened there. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studio.
Mornings with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you uh, joining us today. Don't forget, we will be at the Neshoba County Fair Wednesday and Thursday. Okay, I can't remember what I teased before we went to break. Somebody tell me. I got too, too busy doing text and reading other stories. Sorting out the news. The Dow up 194 right now. You know, we're trying to avert a UPS strike. You been watching this? That would really muck up the works, wouldn't it, if that happens? Eric in Philadelphia says, I'm a black conservative voter. I have a question. Why white people don't call Black Lives Matter terrorists just like black people call white people white supremacists, such as the KKK or Antifa, Antifa, pardon me, these are all bad terrorist organizations. Yeah, um, I hear you, Eric, and I appreciate that. Uh, I think we have to be careful on how we ascribe the term terrorist, but, you know, it, it could be subjective in that regard, but certainly you, you can't just take hold of... Uh, and recognize what BLM and some of these other activist groups have done, certainly in terms of ransacking property, destroying property, and pillaging goods. I mean, that was just wide open and hurting people and causing all sorts of other problems. It, I mean, to me, certainly that would rise to the level of terrorism. Yeah, it was the Lowe's story. Yeah, I was talking about a Georgia Lowe's worker fired, fired, 68 years old after trying to stop a shoplifting gang. They had $2,000 worth of goods. She's been an employee there for 13 years. So she, she saw what they were doing. She decided to get involved, and she got fired because she violated company policy. And you know... I, I get Lowe's. You know why they have that company policy, of course, is because if their employee intervenes to stop a crime in progress like this, robbery in progress, they're more likely to lose in court these days by a plaintiff who will say, oh, that was racism, or dream up some other premise for a lawsuit, and then they'll own Lowe's. That's how upside down it is. So once again, we glorify the criminals, and we demonize, vilify, we terminate the employment of the honest person that's trying to stop a crime in progress. This is Joe Biden's America. My friend, Representative Fred Shanks, offered an opinion. I. I tend to agree with him, Rhino. He says, 
This all started under the Obama administration. I think to a great extent that is true. I, I can't help but think about the beer summit. Remember that? The Cambridge police officer. Let's go have a beer summit and talk about this, where it, it was thought that he was engaged in stereotyping, as I recall. Remember that? It was a black person in a, in a neighborhood, I guess, where the residents were predominantly white and thought something was going on. I, I'm just, the details are kind of sketchy. It's been a long time ago. Something to that effect. But I don't know. It, it did seem like Barack Obama always kind of wore that on his sleeve. You know, look at me. I'm a... What would he say? Trayvon Martin looks like my kids or something like that. You remember all that junk? Yeah, Trayvon Martin was a crook. And that was proven. And so we... It's like we rationalize crime. We justify it. We've decriminalized it. And we vilify, demonize law-abiding citizens. That's upside down. It's just upside down. You cannot It's not have. Republican lawmakers in Republican states that are saying, no, 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 it's fine as long as you shoplift less than a grand. That's true. Yeah, and so they, and literally the crooks, go into the stores with a calculator as they're taking items off the shelf and adding it up to make sure it stays under that threshold. It's not Republican lawmakers that were raising bail money for rioters. All true. It was the vice president of these United States. So it turns out that the suspects here, they've been named by authorities, three of them, and photos have been released. It, it's three black folks. Now, th that's not being racist. It's just being factual. It's three black people. And, and I don't think this Lowe's employee, my guess is just reading her story and listening to her interview, if it were white people stealing stuff from Lowe's, she'd intervene there too. But that's not according to the left. It's the jackpot, right? When it's a white person that intervenes, on a crime in progress being committed by black people. Ding, 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 ding! Without just forgetting about the races of the parties involved and paying attention and focusing on the facts. These people were stealing. You cannot have a prosperous society and a quality of life or safety without the rule of law. It's just simple as that. You cannot let criminals go unpunished helping themselves to goods in a store. That just ain't right. And guess who pays for that? The honest people who pay for stuff that they buy in a store. They have to make it up somehow. The losses are in the billions. They're off the charts. It's forcing some merchants to shut down in some of America's crime-ridden cities. It Honestly, it's a calling card to business for cities that do enforce the law. I think that's the case in most of Mississippi. There are pockets of Mississippi where uh, this is a huge problem as well. I don't know if it's related, but I saw the Red Lobster, which we can see out our window here. You see that? They're closed, they announced. 
And the sign on the door says, we, we encourage you or look forward to serving you at other Red Lobster locations. The, the short sort of announcement on that said they're closed for temporarily for renovation. I don't know what the case is. I know the parking lot's full every night around the dinner hour when you pass by. I just wonder if it's got something to do with the water in Jackson, crime, etc. I don't know. There very few details from the parent company about it. That's yeah, just upside down. Totally. It's Obama's administration right now, says CC and Senatobia. Biden is just a show pony. Brain dead ice cream eating show pony. <laughs> Tell you what, folks, you're gonna you're gonna see, I think, some developments in the Hunter Biden tax case and the peddling influence accusations. His former so-called best friend is scheduled to testify later this week. He maintains that he was with Hunter Biden on business deals when he excused himself from the room where they were negotiating with parties, foreign entities, exited the room to call his dad the vice president. Numerous times, according to this individual. This is really going to be something uh, to, to see these details and this evidence unfold. And I think Joe Biden's got his hands full in, in this regard. I applaud the Republicans, James Comer, in the House that it runs the House Oversight Committee for pursuing this with vigor and getting this witness up to the Capitol to talk about that. Don't forget about Illinois starting the new law that there will be no cash bail. You're right, Tim and McGee reports. You're right, Tim. They just released them till the court day. That's absolutely right. They just um, just implemented that not too long ago. That's insane. Uh, totally. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not steal, says Malcolm from Tishomingo. And I, I, I agree with you, Malcolm. And I think most honest, law-abiding people absolutely loathe uh, thieves. What bothers me is this, this excuse that you get from the, the just a, a litany of excuses from the left, justifying it, rationalizing it. It's just crazy. Justifying theft. The taking of someone else's possessions. How can you justify that under any circumstances? Crazy. We've got the final segment on middays on this Monday after the break. It's Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors getting kicked off at 12.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
in the Element Well studio for the final segment on this Monday, ushering in a new week on middays. On the C Spire text line, please run for political office. Your superior knowledge of the matters of Mississippi far surpass any current candidate. Gibbert Rhino 2024. Here we go, Rhino. We'll go fix them up. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mike. Tell me about nepotism in the workplace. Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. What's that mean? Hmm. I mean, nepotism is favorable treatment to those with an inside track. Yeah. In broadest terms. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't know where to workplace. go from there. I don't either. On the 662, wait, crime started under the Obama administration? I can't wait to see the evidence presented in a court of law against Hunter Biden. I guarantee I will never vote for Hunter again. Now, I shall... want to clean your ears out there in the 662. <laughs> We're talking about Hunter. Right. Discussing his business dealings with his dad, the president. Right. I think that's who, what's missing there. Mr. Presidential Joe Biden has said he never spoke once with his son Hunter about his business dealings. Is he a liar? That's what's this uh, closest friend of uh, Hunter Biden is going to testify about this coming week that he was present when Hunter Biden was having these discussions with his very powerful dad, the big guy, as they say. This is just so obvious to me, so clear. And let's be honest, Hunter Biden doesn't have the old proverbial snowball's chance in hell of even getting to a point of having such meetings without his dad. I guess that would be nepotism. Oh, my gosh. Uh, let's see. If we're serious about the rule of law, says Dwight, then we should also let the Trump indictment play out and not call it as being political before the trial. Well, you've probably seen that court proceedings are scheduled for next May regarding the documents case. And the Trump camp's not happy about that because that, of course, would be in the middle of a presidential campaign. In fact, Donald Trump posted this on Truth Social. Do you think that A.G. Garland and deranged, that's what he calls Jack Smith, deranged Jack Smith understand that we are in the middle of a major political campaign for President of the United States. Have they looked at recent poll numbers? Why didn't they bring these ridiculous charges years before? Why did they wait to bring them now? A virtually unheard of scenario. Prosecutorial misconduct, election interference. The, uh, the latter there in all caps. So he's not happy about that, but he's also uh, got this, uh, he's, he's announced that he's a target of a special prosecutor for January 6th, and he's expecting any day an indictment to be handed down on that matter. So the former president, at least right now, appears is going to be pretty busy in court proceedings. I submit that Joe Biden could face 
the same fate after the testimony this week. I mean, heck, the whistleblower's testimony last week about Hunter Biden's income tax evasion. By the way, when I was taking income tax class in 1980 as a senior accounting student, Dr. Milam, who headed the accounting department back then, second floor of Connor Hall, for those familiar with the campus in Oxford. I promise if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. Just drilled it into your head as, a, as an accounting student that might be in the tax practice business. He would say, tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is not. What does tax avoidance mean? It just means leveraging all the deductions and credits the law makes available to calculate your tax liability. In the case of business transactions, something I experienced, that law is brutally complicated. How, how the tax treatment applies based on the nature and the structure of the transaction. That's when you got to get tax lawyers. So tax lawyers generally, they don't, they don't counsel individuals unless they're billionaires that have these complex business transactions. That's where you really need tax lawyers because it's one of them things like so much in our law, it's great and it can be interpreted multiple ways. And when you get into that, that's brutally complicated. So yeah, you hire tax lawyers to for, for what the investment community calls maximum tax efficiency. To minimize tax liability to all the parties who are going to benefit. That's perfectly legal. Evasion, not reporting income, such as Hunter Biden committed, that is felony tax evasion, not avoidance. We're out of here today. Back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.